The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hey, everyone, and welcome to our throwback episode. In our throwback episodes, we are reintroducing you to some of our most popular episodes. This is great for new listeners who want to learn more about the work we've done in the past, and it's a great refresher if you've been a listener for a long time. Enjoy. I'm excited for this episode. Today, we're going to cover negotiation myths. And so we're going to start off with win-win. We're talking about trust then, and then we're going to end up with getting to yes versus starting with no. So how about we start off with win-win versus what you like, mission and purpose. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Well, the word win-win is a very seductive idea. It sounds really good. And uh, it is what is usually proposed nowadays that uh, by anyone who has been to uh, studied in academia or read a book on negotiation, this the idea of win-win where you win and I win is it's a great feeling. The problem is English is my second language, and I kind of consider myself a student of uh, language and words and their meaning. And I think the word win has a specific meaning. It means that someone is winning in a competition, right? So when you win, someone has to lose. How many of you want to see a race where everyone wins? Not many people. How many boxing matches do you want to watch where both win? Well, no one likes to lose. So the idea of win-win is very seductive. The problem is the word win has a meaning. It's about competition. But most of the negotiation that I'm in is we are really not competing. They want one thing. And we want something else. For instance, if I'm going to buy a car, the car salesman doesn't want to collect as he can. He wants to sell the car and get cash. Me, on the other hand, I want a reliable, dependable uh, car that I can drive to work and earn money. So I want to part away with some of my cash to get a car. We are not fighting over the same thing. This is oversimplifying it. But in a in a business negotiation, for instance, one of my clients may be selling parts or selling components or selling something that they make. Their customer needs that component in order to make a bigger machine, in order for it to go into a car, a truck, a building, a crane, whatsoever. But they're not really competing over the same product. It's not a win-win. It's really an alignment of mission. During this time, is, is what I'm doing making sense for you in helping you move your mission and purpose forward? It may be at a certain time in the future, I no longer add value to your company because we're either too expensive, we can no longer meet your delivery demands, or we can no longer meet the volume that you need from us, and then we have to part ways. There's no lose. We just have to move on to another customer. So to me, it's more of an alignment of mission is can I help you move your mission and purpose forward? Versus looking at one thing and how are we going to split this? Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. So in your experience, if somebody has a win-win type of mentality and they go into a negotiation where the other person has a win-lose type of mentality, where they're trying to play to win, 
What type of mistakes do you see from the person who is thinking win-win? What are the tactical errors that they're actually making at the negotiation table? A person that goes in with a win-win mindset feels that both sides have to be happy or they have to get something out of it. We, on the other hand, prefers that no deal is much better than being stuck in a horrible deal, right? But if a win-win person is negotiating with a win-loss, the win-win person will almost always lose because they are taking on the responsibility in trying to make sure the other person gets to win. So they will invariably start to compromise in order to make a deal happen. In fact, I've seen people say when they go in, they go in with a badner and they'll just say, if this doesn't work, this is my fallback. We have to make something happen. I have spent so much time on this deal. I have to walk away with something. So what happens is they end up compromising. Now that's interesting. And I, you're spot on here with, with what you're saying. And so let me play devil's advocate. Somebody who has the um, win-win mentality, what they would say is, well, in order to make something happen, I do need to sweeten the deal for them. I need to make something good happen for the opponent or the person on the other side, or they're just not going to say yes. So isn't it a good thing to compromise? Well, compromises is not a bad thing. It's when you have to make compromises that jeopardize your mission and purpose. My job is to help my clients not make compromises that they do not have to make. Basically, avoid unnecessary compromises. So by nature, it's not bad to compromise. But what are you compromising? Most times, they're compromising profits. When a salesperson goes in, they want to sell a product at $100. The cutoff, the walkaway, it's at $80. A lot of them, if they do not know how to negotiate, when they come across a win-loss person and the win-loss person says, nope, this is not good enough, go sharpen your pencil. If they say it once or twice, sometimes in the first time, they will drop it by 10%. Just in one word, no. If they push back a few more times, the inexperienced salesperson will go drop right down to the, the walkaway price of $80. So what's at stake? They're compromising their company's ability to move forward with the profit that they need to make because he's afraid to negotiate. Yep, you're absolutely right. And I, I like the way that you categorized compromise because not all compromises are created equally. So you, you want to avoid unnecessary compromise. And I think that's the distinction that makes it that's so difficult for uh, people when it comes to negotiation because there's a little bit of art behind it. So I know I need to compromise. How much is too much? When is the right time? Those are the types of things that kind of make it difficult for people. And I think it's almost a fear response that leads them to retreat quickly. Well, let's move on to number two, the second thing, which is trust. And I know this is something that's going to surprise a lot of people, the myth of trust. And uh, that's one of those business buzzwords that's really, really popular right now. And so when you talk about trust, the necessity of trust being a myth, what do you mean by that? It means that a lot of people hold that to be true, that it's a, an idea or a principle that people follow, and it sounds like it should work. We only do business with people that we like and trust. The problem is that's not true. The problem is we would like to trust someone, but we don't need trust to do business with it. So I'm, I'm trying to be a little nuanced here. We want to do business with people that we trust, 
but we don't need trust to be able to do business. Just think about this for a minute. How much business does the U.S. do with China right now? A lot, a lot of business. We talk about billions and billions. Like we just we just、uh, put tariffs on like a few hundred billions, right? This past year, right? Do we trust the Chinese? Do the Chinese trust the U.S.? Are we still doing business? <laughs> That's true. In fact, I have、uh, when I'm called in is because trust has already been broken. Even this morning, I've got an email from someone who says they have a problem with their partner. This is a partner they've worked with. They trusted them. That's why they went into partnership. But now all of a sudden, there's a problem. There's a distrust. So now I have to come in and help them. I have clients whose customers wrote emails where I have a copy of because I'm I'm being brought in into the negotiation. And you see words like this: "I am beyond disgusted with you guys. I'm about to take all my work away from you." There's no trust there. There's not even zero trust as when you meet a stranger. There's a distrust. There's a negative. There's a deficit here, and we still go in and we negotiate. And in one meeting, we can leave, and we can get five or six new、uh, blanket POs from this customer. So in that situation, because because I know this is something that is going to sound strange with, for a lot of the listeners, you're giving examples of times where you are doing business with somebody that you do not trust. And so, in that situation, if there is a lack of trust, how do you even begin the negotiation process? If there is, let's let's say, negative trust, there's a distrust between the parties. How do we negotiate without it? How do we negotiate without it? It's a good question, Kwame. We follow a system. So the system is: what's the mission and purpose? What am I trying to accomplish for this counterpart, this adversary, this negotiation opposition here? What do they want? How can I help them get it? If I can show them that I can help them get something they cannot get otherwise, it doesn't matter whether they like or trust me. I am not saying that trust is not a good thing. Trust makes the deal go faster. Absolutely. Ideally, you want trust because trust is a feeling at the end of the day. When you do business with a salesperson for the first time, I've seen people say, "Oh yeah, I trust him." Based on what? <laughs> you just met the guy. How do you know? How do you know he's not a great actor? That's why there's so many con men out there trying to make people like and trust them. They have mastered the handshake and the smile, right? So how do you know? How do you know that they're not trying to con you? So you focus on what is the what is the problem? Can you solve it? Can you help them see that you can help them solve it? And this is where you come in. People like attorneys, people like you that are good at contract law. You just, you want to make sure there's a strong agreement to make sure that everybody does what they do, right? I've had I've had clients that have had customers not pay on time, and they were threatening not to do business with them anymore. I've went in, I've talked to them, and what they did is they just need to have a good agreement on how to get paid, and they continue doing business. You see that often. They just change payment terms from 60 days to 30 days to pay on delivery to prepay. They're just changing the terms in order to continue doing business, even though there's no trust, right? The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So, more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. 
a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. So in those examples, really what's happening is you're focusing on the problem that they need to be solved and the problem that you need to be solved and finding creative ways through negotiation to solve those problems and then having the additional layer of being mindful that there is a lack of trust and creating mechanisms to to kind of bridge that trust gap. Exactly. That trust gap is real. It's a feeling. And the feeling is not real. So we have to acknowledge that. We want to bring we we don't want to rely on those feelings, but we also realize that those feelings can be changed with a new vision. If I can help them see that I am the best option for them in getting this product or this part or this service or to help them solve this particular problem, then we have a deal. It doesn't mean we have to be friends. Do you know that a lot of like people that have gone through divorce, they, they don't trust each other, but yet they have to make deals on how to work with their kids because their kids is the mission and purpose. Hmm. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, sometimes we have to work with people we don't like. And that's part of, <laughs> that's part of why, why we have to learn how to negotiate to work with difficult people. Exactly. Fantastic. Well, perfect. Let's move on to the third one, which is getting to yes versus starting with no. And I know this is one of the fundamental tenets of your style of negotiation, starting with no, which I know is a little bit counterintuitive. So we already touched on getting to yes, which is the win-win methodology. Can you tell us more about what we mean when it comes to starting with no? Sure. Before I get to start with no, I just want to kind of wrap up the first part where we talked about win-win. If, if you follow what I'm talking about, helping someone fulfill their mission and purpose, at the end of that negotiation, what we have is true win-win. I even hate saying those words because it's, <laughs> it's kind of like the best alternative. I know that. That's, I sometimes use mutually beneficial agreements okay, in place of win-win. But win-win is a very catchy word. But at the end of the day, they further their mission and purpose, and I do as well. But it is not both of us arguing over one apple and then both of us splitting it and you get some and I get some and we all walk away a little less happy or we both compromise a little bit. So it's not that. But that is what people have made win-win to be. Especially, I have negotiated with guys that, that are buyers for Walmart, Kmart, and Target, right? And they'll say things like, uh, Kwame, I need you to give me the best price because if you give me the lowest possible price, you get to make a lot of these for us. That's win-win. But really, it's win-win for them, meaning they win twice. They get a lot of product and they get to pay a little bit for it. And you have to work really hard for very little profit. So really, that's not win-win. But back to the third question of start with no. You know I'm a camp guy. I was trained by Jim Camp many years ago. A lot of what I do is uh, the foundation is, uh, is start with no. And the reason I embrace that methodology or that idea or approach or the principles is that 
it is much more to me genuine, authentic by asking someone to tell me what they don't want, but then for me to try to get them to say these micro yeses, right? Mm -hmm. Because that seems manipulative to me. Trying to get someone, is this a good day? Is this what you want? This is what you want, right? Kwame, do you want to be successful, right? The reason we say start with no is we want to uncover what it is that you do not want. It is much more respectful because I'm not going to try to manipulate you. If at any time this, uh, this deal doesn't make sense, I want you to just tell me no and then we'll just go a different direction or we'll just end it here. Is that fair? Most of the time they'll say, yeah, fair. I've never seen anyone say, no, that's not fair. So when we say start with no, fundamentally, that is something that all of us want to say, but we are afraid of saying it. We are afraid of hurting people. We are afraid of ruining relationships. We do not know how to say, say no gracefully, respectfully, in a way that preserves that relationship while I preserve myself, my resources, right? No hits people in a very visceral way. The first thing, I have six kids, and the first things that my, my kids have learned to say is no, because no is their way of controlling the environment. They get to say, nope, I don't want to go to bed. No, I don't want to eat that uh, banana pudding. No, I don't want to be kissed. So no is a way for them to control their surroundings. And so in terms of negotiation, giving the other person the opportunity to say no, it's very important to us. See, that's really interesting. And I think for a lot of people, it's a scary approach because they almost feel like they are prompting people to say no, which makes it more likely for them to say no during the negotiation. But what you're saying is that in your experience, it's actually the exact opposite. By giving them the opportunity to say no early and often, it makes them feel safer, which makes them more likely to agree if agreement is the right decision for them. Correct. Let me give you an example. So this is this the principle of giving the person the opportunity to say no or inviting a no is coupled with something that I call tactical vulnerability. The willingness for us to be hurt by the other person, to just kind of put myself out there. So there was this deal where my client's customer was not happy with them. They were delivering parts that were not meeting quality standards. They were failing in the field, and it was going to cost tens of thousands of dollars for these parts to be returned. And so, And that was just the beginning of it. With all the parts that were in the field, it could cost millions of hundreds of millions to kind of retool and bring it back and ship it back and remake and deliver again, right? Mm -hmm. So when I got the email, it was, we saw your mission and purpose about delivering quality parts. This is laughable. I'm like, oh, this is not good. <laughs> Usually when I get the emails that I'm copied on, it's never good. I'm like, okay, all right, so let me do some research. Come to find out, this part by my client's customer, they attempted to have that made offshore. They couldn't make it. They came to my client years ago to have this made. But along the way, different people have started managing it, and they'd had no idea that my client was doing them a favor by making these parts. So that one little nugget, I had a whole conference table maybe about 15, 20 foot long, laid out with all the communication. I'm just reading through them and just kind of found that one little nugget. So we use that one little nugget and we talk to them and I call them and I just say, look, it looks like we've completely failed you and we're completely incompetent in making these parts good for you. 
And out of 100 parts, we're getting about 40 percent that are unusable, and they're failing the field. I know this that uh, I know that our our promise is about uh, uh, less than like half of a percent to one percent uh, uh, defect rate, but 40 percent is unacceptable. No wonder you're yelling at us, and I'm surprised that you're not cussing at me right now. And he's like, Oh no, I'll never cuss at you, Alan. I'm like, oh, if I were in your spot, I would. Right? This is uh, this goes into de-escalation. But so finally, I said, Well. We have tried to make these parts, and it's very difficult. I don't know that there's anyone else in the country or in this world that can make this really well. But maybe we don't know. Why don't you just tell me where you want us to ship these patterns and this tooling, and we'll go ahead and do that as soon as possible for you? The customer immediately said, no, 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 no. That is the last thing we want to hear from you. See, at first they were just the kind of threatening that they they were not happy with us. Their our mission purpose was laughable. They don't want to give any more business to us. To when we were able to help them see that, uh, yeah, we shouldn't have taken this project. It's very difficult. I don't know how anyone could have done it well. Forty percent is unacceptable to us. So you just tell us where to ship this to, and we'll do it. And it's a we were basically calling the bluff and becoming very vulnerable. So at that point. The whole game turned around, and they said, "Can you please continue to make this for us? We're gonna we're gonna put in a system that will test uh, will test these parts before we mount them, and that will be on us, and we'll take care of that." Blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, my client didn't have to compromise. But prior to that, the cost of tearing down and shipping things back and remaking it, the first batch was just gonna be like thirty thousand, and The first reaction from、uh, the account manager of my client was like,、uh, "How about we compromise and just、uh, come to an agreement and meet in the middle and see how much they're willing to take instead of thirty thousand, let's say fifteen thousand, or they owe us money for shipping these other parts. How about we just say forget about that invoice?" But the problem, Kwame, is when we do that, we are going to accept every single failure that happens in the field that will cost millions in the future. So there was no way we could do that. So it took a little bit of time to look through all the notes. So one of the steps in a good negotiation strategy is just doing research. So I had to go and print out all the communications for the last couple of years, lay it on the table, go through all the emails back and forth, just to find out that when we agreed to take on this project, they could not get it made anywhere else. So essentially, I was inviting him to tell me no. This is a really interesting approach. And again, like I said, I, it's scary. But you, the the term you used, strategic vulnerability, it's it's very clear how that comes into play here. And so, first step you did was research, and then after that, it seems where the deviation is between where you decided to take the negotiation and where your client initially wanted it to go was that their first move was going to be compromise immediately before absolutely. Doing anything else, they were going to compromise, and it's a great example of an unnecessary compromise because you didn't need to do that. And what you did first, instead of trying to find that yes, was you started with no, just like you said. You gave them the opportunity to say no, and it's it's almost like one of those judo type of situations. They're attacking <laughs> you, and they assume that they're going to you're going to meet their force with force or just concede. And what you do instead is the exact opposite of what they anticipate. You invite them to say no. 
Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.